in our series. Follow me. We're doing a study on the book of James. And today we're going to be in James chapter three, talking about what does it mean to really follow Jesus? What does it look like to truly follow him? Now, today's message is going to be a little bit different. As you can tell, I'm seated uh, today because today's message is going to be a little bit more teaching than preaching. Uh, If you will, I want to give you some principles that I think are going to help you, but also teach you some techniques uh, that I think will help you in your walk with Christ, as we talk about this topic of wisdom that James is going to walk us through in in verses uh, 3 through 18. But I want to use this message, not just to teach you about wisdom, um, but to also teach you how to study God's Word in a more practical way. Some of you have watched a video I did on YouTube. This is not going to be a recap of that video. It's actually uh, uh, very different um, from that video, just on how to study the Bible for spiritual formation But this is really going to give you a practical look, almost a behind the scenes look at what we as pastors do to prepare for messages, but also show you how you can do this on your own Um, and and just really kind of talk you through how do I study the Bible? And I know a lot of you have questions about God's word. I know that there's some things that you encounter in this book um, that you may not fully understand. You don't know how to apply to your life. And so I want to help you with that because as James is talking about wisdom today, The best place for us to get the wisdom, godly wisdom, is through his word. The best place for us to find the wisdom that we need for life is through his word. So I want to teach you to mine those gold nuggets of wisdom out of God's word so that you can apply them to your life. And while doing that, I want to teach you what James has to say about wisdom. So I hope you're ready to dive into this with me. I hope you have something available to write with. Um, and to take notes with, because I think this is really going to help you. Uh, and if you can learn to study God's word this way, I think it will make you a, a powerful witness for Christ who lives according to his word, because you really understand how it applies to you. Now, often when we approach the Bible, we approach the Bible with a question in mind. And the question is this, what does me or for me? What does this mean to me or for me? This is the question that we come to the Bible with But I want to tell you something about this question. And before I say this, let me say this. I get this question. I understand this question. We come to the Bible because we want answers for life's problems. We come to the Bible because we want to find solutions to what we face. We want to build a relationship with God. We want to understand him better. And so we come to the Bible with this question. What does this mean to me or for me? But that is the absolute wrong question to approach God's Word with. That is the wrong question for us to ask. And you may be thinking, wait a minute, Jay, like, what do you mean I'm not supposed to ask? What does this mean to me or for me? What is interpretation then if it's not me figuring out what does this mean to me or for me? You remember the message that, that Pastor Brian preached earlier in the year? I believe it was around Mother's Day where he had the little toy ball that, that um, the toddlers play with that has all the different cutout shapes in it. It's a plastic ball. And then you have the little plastic pieces that fit through those holes, those shaped holes. And, and part of it's like you're trying to put this square peg into a round hole and it's not fitting and you're trying to force it to fit. When we come to the Bible with this question at the forefront, what does this mean to me or for me? That's what we end up doing. We try to force a square peg into a round hole. We try to make something fit that that does not fit because the authors of the Bible, when they wrote this, may have had you and me in mind and had some principles that we could pull out of this. They were not writing directly to you or to me. There's no letter addressed to the preacher Jamil that lives in Suffolk, Virginia, or you know the the 
Linda, who lives in Portsmouth, there's no letter to the Chesapeakeans in here, right? There's no letter directly to us. So this was not written directly to you and to me. It was written to a different audience. And if you remember earlier in the message series, I talked about this thing called context. And before I show you this context slide again, let me just say this. Some of you may be really wondering, like, what is he really talking about here? This whole square peg, round hole thing and all of that. And I don't want to lose you in that. But just to give you an example, when we approach the Bible saying, what does this mean to me or for me? We end up doing what I see a lot of athletes do. You know where I'm about to go as soon as I say that. We put Philippians 4.13 on our face. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and we try to apply it to our context. So we apply it to the football field or the basketball court or wherever, whatever sport we may play, and we end up taking it out of context because we're looking at it through the lens of what does this mean to me or for me. But now back to that context slide that I showed you earlier in the book of James. You remember we were talking about James here, this man who is the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus as his brother, He saw his brother crucified. He knew his brother was raised from the dead. He didn't even believe in Jesus as the Messiah until after the resurrection. His own brother was like, man, you're crazy. I don't know what you're out here talking about and preaching about and all that stuff. But because he knew his brother had been crucified and he knew his brother was now alive again, now this belief enters in. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, goes from not believing in Jesus to being really the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's writing to a target audience of Jewish Christians who have scattered due to persecution. So he's writing specifically to these Jewish Christians. James chapter one, verse one says that, that I'm James, a servant of Jesus Christ, and writing to you, Jews who have been scattered through the dispersion, Christian brothers and sisters who are Jewish, who have been scattered through the dispersion. So they were sent out because of persecution. And the type of scripture that this is, is this is a letter And that's important. James is writing a letter. And when you write a letter, it's complete thoughts. It's not all of this broken up stuff, but James is is driving us to a complete point. And I really feel like he's focusing on this idea of discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And there are principles here, which principles mean that that we can take what what the meaning is and apply the meaning to our lives. And so we typically approach the Bible with that question of what does this mean to me or for me? And that's the wrong question. The right question that we should be asking is this. What did this mean to them? What did this mean to them? This is the first question that we are supposed to ask. What did it mean to the author who was writing it? What did it mean to the target audience as they were reading it? What did it mean in their language, in their context, in their time? And the only way that we can ever actually figure out the actual meaning of what we're reading in Scripture is to ask this question and answer it. What did this mean to them? And I know that, that we as pastors have spent a lot of time telling you like what the Bible means to you. Like even at the end of this message, I'm going to tell you, this is how you apply this to your life. This is what this means to you. But hopefully we have done this part in our study to get to the application for you. Hopefully we've asked this question in our study and that we haven't just come to the Bible and says, all right, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to Jay? Or what does this mean for Jay? And then I'll just take that and tell the people this is what it means for them too. No, hopefully as I'm preparing, I'm asking this question and going through the context and figuring out what did this mean to the original audience in their original context? And then that brings up the follow-up question that I have to ask before I preach it to you and to give you the application that you need. And it's this, how does that meaning apply to me? How does that meaning apply to me? So we don't come to the Bible with the question of, what does this mean to me or for me? We come to the Bible with the question of, 
What did this mean to them, the original author, the original audience in their context? What did this mean to them? And how does that meaning then apply to me? And, and as we go through the Bible that way, um, that's how we figure out what God is really trying to tell us. Um, so if, if you look at it this way, if we think back to Philippians 4.13, the verse that I used a few minutes ago in, in the context of the, the square peg into the round hole, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you read it in, in understanding the author, Paul, who was in prison at the time, writing to a church in Philippi that, that he helped find, uh, found, but this church was also facing persecution. They were also facing some hard times. And so Paul, throughout this letter, tells them to rejoice. He's like, I'm in chains. I'm locked up in prison right now, but rejoice. And so when you think about that, it's kind of counter, counterproductive or not counterproductive, it's counterintuitive, if you will. And so Paul is saying, I'm in chains, but you can rejoice. And then he gets to this verse. He's like, hey, I've had plenty. I've been in times where I haven't had much. I, you guys know my story. I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been, all these horrible things have happened to me, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when I read that verse through the lens of who Paul is, the author, through the lens of what Paul has faced, through the lens of, of this man who persecuted Christians and, and was, was, hated Christians, who then had an encounter with Jesus that radically changed his life. And after that encounter, he goes on to, to preach the gospel and, and spread to be the, the, one of the greatest seeds of spreading the gospel to, to the Gentiles and writes two thirds of the New Testament. And when I know the stories about how he's been shipwrecked and, and bitten by a snake and stoned by people and flogged and imprisoned, and then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then I, what I really understand is that the real message is not that I'm going to be able to dominate a sporting event because I'm a Christian. The real message is that God will sustain me through whatever God has called me to. And so when I understand it through Paul's lens, what I can then sit here and say is, as Pastor Jay is, I know that God has called me to be the pastor at Seven Cities Church. So if God has called me to this, he's going to sustain me through this so I don't have to fear. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that I can go to the gym tomorrow and bench press 500 pounds because, because Christ strengthens me because I'm going to pick it up and I'm, gonna, I'm probably not even going to pick it up. But if I do, it's going to fall on my neck and I'm going to die and I'm going to get the welcome to heaven video that you see on TikTok all the time, right? But what it means is if God has called me to something, God is going to sustain me through that thing. And I can rest in that meaning. I can rest in that understanding. I can apply that to my life, knowing that I can face anything that comes my way when I'm walking with God and walking in his calling because he strengthens me. And you see how that changes the meaning a little bit when we, when, and we get a better understanding of what that means to us. And so what I want to do today is I actually want us to to read our text for today, and then we're going to apply some of what we just learned to this text for today. We're going to apply the understanding of these questions. What did this mean to them, and how does that meaning apply to my life? As we read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, that's what we're going to cover today, and James is talking to us about wisdom. So let's go ahead and pick this up in verse 13. It says, James is talking here. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be dis disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, 
and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The title of today's message is simple. It's wisdom from above because that's what James is really talking to us about here, how to have wisdom from above. Before we dive into the main text for today, I want to pray with you just for a moment though. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that this is the day that you've made and we can rejoice and be glad in it. Father, I thank you for your people, everyone who's tuning in online right now, Lord. I pray that you would help us to be able to study your word more effectively, to understand your word, to grow spiritually, that you would prepare our hearts uh, to receive the seed that's going to be planted in them today through your word, by knowing your word, and by seeing you more clearly through your word. Prepare our hearts to receive your word. Guide us by your spirit, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, that I would decrease so that you can increase in my life and in the lives of the people of Seven Cities Church. Lord, I thank you for your church. And again, I thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have to excuse me. I got a little bit of a cold. It's that time of year. But so we're going to go back to that question, the right question to ask. What did this mean to them? As we talk about James talking to this this group of Jewish Christians who have been scattered abroad because of persecution, and now James is talking to them about having wisdom. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to put ourselves in their shoes for a minute. And I want you to picture yourself. It's 2,000 years ago. Take yourself out of the context that you're in right now. Take yourself out of the place that you live right now. There's, there's no internet. There's no TV. There's no Netflix. Uh, you don't have to get up and go to, to, to your job at the shipyard or the hospital or the school tomorrow. You don't have to do any of that. I want you to put yourself in their context. You're a person who has been driven away from your home because you're being persecuted. You're being persecuted for your beliefs and for your faith. You have the Romans who hate you because you're Jewish. You have the Jews who hate you because you're a Christian. And you've been driven away from everything that you know. And James has talked to you throughout this letter he's been, that he's written to you. And he's told you, hey, man, when you face stuff, count it all joy. If you don't have wisdom, ask from God. He's going to give it to you. Trust in God. Go out and be faithful. Do good works. Take care of widows and orphans. Do the things that reflect that you are a child and a disciple of God. So when James is writing all of this to them, these words that he's speaking would have a meaning to them. There's something that they would look back at and draw on to say, what is James trying to tell me here? And because James is talking about wisdom in this passage, what I want us to do is I want us to look back at what wisdom meant to them um, and not just understand it from our context. Will will the meaning be the same? Possibly. But it's important that we look at it through their eyes. And so these people, because they were Jewish Christians, they had been brought up in the Jewish faith. They understood wisdom through the lens of King David and and King Solomon, the wisest man who who had ever lived. I'm sure that as kids, they had been told stories about Solomon. They maybe read the book of Proverbs. It may not have been um, cataloged the way that we have it today, but they understood these wise sayings that Solomon had. And so here's what they heard about wisdom. First from the book of Proverbs, and this again is Solomon talking. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge and, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So for them, wisdom has this component of understanding reverence and respect for God, but not just reverence and respect, because sometimes we read that word fear and, and we think it, it's because God is mean and he's so big and he's powerful. And, and if we do something wrong, he could strike us down with a lightning bolt. And so we say the fear of the Lord, we look at it through that lens. But for them, fear, this, this reverence and, and respect 
led them to something. And the something that it led them to was willing obedience. That's what God always wanted from his people. So for them, they said the fear of the Lord, reverence and respect that leads me to willing obedience of, to the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's what starts wisdom. It's not wisdom. It's not the totality of wisdom. It's just the beginning of it. So for them, as they're reading this passage from James and James is saying, hey, whoever's wise among you, whoever has wisdom, I need you to listen to me. Wisdom from above. You guys know this. It comes from the fear of the Lord. It comes from having such a reverence and a respect for him that you willingly obey him. That's where it starts at. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So fear, again, fear is reverence and respect that leads to willing obedience. And they would have understood that. So as they were reading this, they would have read it through some of that context. All right, he says, whoever is wise among you. So he's talking to people who have fear of the Lord. Whoever has fear of the Lord, this reverence and respect that leads to willing obedience. As he's talking to them, this is what James is saying in their context. Let's look at another verse that they would probably be familiar with. This is from uh, the book of Psalm. It says, teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. What does numbering your days do? It makes you realize that I'm mortal. It makes you realize that you're not all supreme. It makes you realize that, that there is a time that you have. It makes you realize that there is something far bigger than you. And so he's saying, teach us to number our days. Teach us to have this understanding of our place, of who we are, and that that would give us a heart of wisdom. So you have these two components. There's this, this fear of the Lord, this reverence and respect that leads to willing obedience. And then there's this second component of, let me also understand my place. I fear and res- I, I have reverence and respect for you, Lord, so I will willingly obey you, understanding who I am and that I'm mortal. That, that you're God and that I'm not, right? And so there's these two components that lead to wisdom. They give us a heart of wisdom and that begin wisdom in our life. And so here's something I want you to write down. Wisdom starts with being properly oriented to God. Wisdom starts with being properly oriented to God. And this word wisdom that's used in these two verses we just read in the Hebrew is a word that's called, it's hakma. And, and, and it's really just the start of Wisdom, this this hakma, this understanding, and hakma is like this skill. And, and actually, uh, in their context, the word was used oftentimes as a very skillful warrior, as a warrior with experience, as a warrior who understood their place, a warrior who could go out to battle each and every time and survive. That's the same word that they would use to kind of define and describe wisdom, right? And so James is saying here. When you read this in this context, my Jewish Christians who are being persecuted and scattered abroad, when you get this letter from me and you start reading about wisdom, think back to what wisdom really means. Wisdom starts, it begins with a fear, a reverence and respect of the Lord that leads you to willing obedience and wisdom. You will have a heart of wisdom if you remember your place, if you understand, if you count your days. So James is leading us here. And you may be thinking, Jay, I get this. This makes sense to me that wisdom starts with being properly oriented to God. And properly oriented by that, I just mean that, that we are in proper alignment with him. You know, like if you have two antenna and, and they don't have proper, can't communicate, you lose communication. So this idea of wisdom starts with being properly oriented. Properly oriented means I'm just in proper alignment. 
If you've ever had direct TV, you know that, that that satellite dish on your house has to face a certain direction or you lose signal and you could be watching the big game and then a wind blow and your dish turn a little bit and now you can't see anything anymore. And that's what happens when we're not properly oriented to God. That's, not, that's what happens when we are not in proper alignment with him. We can be in, in proper alignment with him and follow him and life is going according to his will because he's called us to it. And then we get out of alignment and we start pursuing something else. And that pursuit of something else is when we walk away from wisdom. Wisdom begins by being properly oriented to him, by properly following him, by being in proper alignment with him. Proverbs 4, 3 through 9 says this, and it's not on your screen. I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, This is Solomon talking. He says, when I was a son with my father, who is his father? King David. So we just read two passages from books that they wrote, right? Or, and David wrote a portion of the Psalms. He didn't write all of them, but he wrote a lot of them. But Solomon, this is Solomon talking. He says, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. He's talking about wisdom here. He says, don't forsake wisdom and wisdom will keep you. Love wisdom and wisdom will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Just get it. Get properly oriented with God. Be in alignment with him. And whatever you get, get insight. Get this deeper understanding, this deeper meaning. Prize her, prize wisdom, prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland, and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So this is what David says to his son Solomon. And Solomon is is recounting this in the book of Proverbs. He's sharing this wisdom that was passed on to him. And so when you think about that, David saying to Solomon, hey, whatever you get, get wisdom. Get it. Get this insight. Whatever you get, get it. And then God Almighty comes to Solomon and and says to him, I'll give you whatever you want. All you have to do is is ask it of me. And Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for land. He didn't ask for women. Solomon said, Lord, I want wisdom. He understood what his father had taught him. He's saying, I want your wisdom. Give me your wisdom. I want wisdom. And God says, because you have answered this so well, I will give you wisdom. You'll be the wise but I'm also going to give you these other things that you didn't ask for because you sought wisdom first. We need to get wisdom and wisdom starts with being properly oriented to God. And also with this idea of, of um, counting our days or numbering our days that we may have a heart. It starts with being properly oriented to God, but it comes with maturity. Wisdom comes with maturities. That, that's why that, that teaches to number our days pieces in that, in that verse in Psalm, because it kind of comes with maturity. Because think back as a, as a guy, when you're a young man, you think you're invincible and you think you know everything. You think you have every answer and every solution. And, and because of that, it keeps you from being wise. That's why a young man, and, I, and I'm sorry, if you're a young guy, if you're, and you're in middle school, high school, young adult as a male, that's why oftentimes people consider us foolish. It's not that we're stupid, but we think we're invincible. We think we can do anything, and we think that, that we know everything. We're not omnipotent. We don't have all power. We're not omniscient. We don't know all things, and we're not invincible. Only God is. And when we have a proper understanding of who he is and who we are in light of him, then we have wisdom. And that's why when you meet 
a young man who, who doesn't think they know everything or doesn't think that they're invincible, people all often say they're wise beyond their years. It's this idea of wisdom. It starts with being properly oriented to God. But wisdom comes through experience because, again, that experience, numbering our days, that experience, that maturity, that life teaches us to know our place. But just remember, wisdom starts with being properly oriented to God. Let's jump back into James real quick and pick up where we left off. We're going to go back to uh, verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? So now we're going to start to break down these verses that are our main text for today with this new understanding that we have. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is to God? Who understands their place? Who has a fear of the Lord, reverence and respect? And, and who has numbered their days that they may have, heart, have a heart of wisdom and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show. And so here's one thing I want you to understand about wisdom. Wisdom isn't just what you know. Wisdom is what you show. Catch that. Wisdom isn't just what you know. That's knowledge. Wisdom is what you show. And I show my wisdom by my good conduct in, the work, in, in my works, in meekness of wisdom. So he's saying, let him show that he's wise. And this, again, thinking back to the maturity thing, oftentimes our actions demonstrate when we're young that we're foolish. But as we get older, our actions begin to demonstrate that we're wise. He's saying, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And this word meekness is one that every time I see it in scripture, I like to, I like to take a moment to point it out because it's a word that Jesus used to describe himself in one of my favorite passages, Matthew 11, uh, 28 through 30, when Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy and my yoke is light and you'll find rest for your soul. Jesus said, because I am meek and lowly in heart. And I often thought about that word meekness and, and kind of the textbook definition is, is a willing submission. So for me, that harkens back to this idea of willing obedience, right? Jesus says, I am meek. I am willingly obeying. But here's the flip side of meekness. Meekness in Jesus had the power and authority to do all things, but he willingly submitted himself even to the point of death on the cross. And so what, what you understand when you're wise is, and your conduct shows this, when you're wise, what you understand is I may have the ability to do something, but just because I have the ability doesn't mean I necessarily have the authority. And if I don't have the authority, then me doing it is a lack of wisdom. So wisdom teaches us that although I have the ability, although I have the power, although I have the capability, doesn't mean that I necessarily need to do that thing. I need to choose wisely if I'm going to live and do wisely. James goes on to say, but, and here's, here's a but, so we're, he's transitioning a little bit here. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. So he's showing us this but means this is the opposite of wisdom. At first I showed you, hey, whoever's wise among you, whoever's properly oriented to God among you, you can show that through your actions. Let your good conduct show that that's who you are, that, that you are in proper alignment with the Lord. Right. And so James just walked us through that with meekness. He said, do it in the meekness of wisdom. Do it. Understand that you may have the ability to do all these other things, but you are in willing submission, proper alignment to the Lord. He throws a butt. So now he's about to show us the opposite. So the opposite is bitter jealousy 
and selfish ambition. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And here's what bitter jealousy and selfish ambition really are. They're also known as pride. They're also known as I should be God. I should do that. That's what got Lucifer thrown out of heaven, right? He wanted to be worshiped. He wanted to be God. He had pride in his heart. And James points this out even more so in the next verse. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He says, if you have selfish ambition or bitter jealousy in your heart, not only is it bad, it's not just bad, it's unspiritual and it's demonic. It doesn't come down from above. And if it doesn't come from above, then it's coming out of our sinful nature. It's coming out of the heart of flesh. It's coming up from the prince of the power of the air, the, the, the prince of this world. It's coming from the devil. It's demonic. It's demonic. So he's saying that we have to, we have to turn against that. He's saying that we show, again, your good conduct shows that you're wise. Your actions show that you're wise, but bitter jealousy and selfish ambition will show that you don't have the wisdom that comes from above that you got wisdom, that you got knowledge or something that comes from somewhere else. It's demonic. He goes on in the next verse. For where jealous, where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. If you think about the things that have caused the most disorder in your lives, what was the root of those things? Where you may be in a relationship that was unwise, were you in a job that was unwise? Did you have friends or were you doing some actions that were unwise? And then this led to disorder in your life. I've had moments in my life where I've said, God, you know, why did this certain thing happen to me? How did I end up in this situation? And when I look back at the steps to t- that I took or the steps that led me there, they were steps that I took that were not in proper alignment with God. You know what? Maybe, maybe I have an estranged relationship with, with a child. But then when I look at that, that relationship, I see that I had this child with a woman I wasn't married to and that because I wasn't in proper alignment with God's word and doing the things that, that God said I should be doing, now I have this relationship that's disorder, is disorderly, is dysfunctional. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to because I wasn't using wisdom that came from above to start that relationship. And so now there's disorder there and I'm frustrated by the disorder. I live my life in frustration over this disorder when the truth of the matter is it could have been avoided if I was in proper alignment with God, if I was properly oriented to him, if I had wisdom. And if my conduct showed that wisdom, it could have been avoided. These are things that are unsubmitted to God. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition exist. There will be disorder in every vile practice. Here's another but. James says but again. So he's transitioning back. So he started us with this wisdom that comes from above. And then he says, but, and then he talks about selfish ambition and bitter jealousy because they're demonic. They don't come from above. That's not the wisdom of God. And now we have another, but, and he's going to walk us through. This is what the wisdom of God looks like. He says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and it's sincere. And let me ask you this question. What do you see in the world around you? Do you see wisdom that looks like this? Wisdom that's pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial or sincere? Or does the wisdom that you see in the world around you, does it reflect the prior verse where there's bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that have caused disorder in every vile practice? What do you see? What do you see around you? 
And take an honest assessment in your personal life, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in your community, in our nation, in our government, in our society. Take a good look at what you see and ask yourself, is what I see, is it based on wisdom that comes from above or is it based on this wisdom that's earthly and unspiritual and demonic? And I can promise you that 99% of what you see is based on wisdom that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It doesn't come from above. It's wisdom that comes from somewhere else. And they're exercising this wisdom and it's having an impact on you. And sometimes we're like, God, why would you let that happen? Why, why, why would you allow these things to happen in the world if you're God and you're overall and you're wise? And here's the truth. If you read Romans chapter one, and I would encourage you guys to go and read Romans chapter one, it's almost broken up into two sections. And it starts with Paul just acknowledging who he is and, and kind of what his mission is. And, and there's a famous verse in Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the, of the um, gospel of Christ for it's the power of God and the salvation first to the Jew, uh, Jew and then also to the Greek. And so Paul is laying out here that, that he's not ashamed of the gospel. But then after that, the chapter kind of transitions. And it talks about our place before God. It talks about this numbering our days. And it doesn't use this terminology, but the premise from the verse teaches to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. It talks about us being how we're oriented to God. And it makes this statement about the world being improperly oriented to him. And it says they worship and serve the creature ourselves rather than the creator. Therefore, God gave them over to a debased mind and they did every vile practice that you can name. God gave them over to that. God gave the world over to that. Why? Because they didn't have wisdom. They didn't, and wisdom starts with being properly oriented to God. It starts with being proper and proper alignment. And because they did not have that proper alignment, proper orientation toward God, he gave them over to a debased mind. And so what we see play out, that bitter uh, jealousy and, and selfish ambition that leads to disorder in every vile practice is because the world has not exercised wisdom since the start of time, since the fall, right? And so, but you and I as Christians, and this is the good news of the gospel, by God's grace, you and I can be brought into proper alignment with him and we can have wisdom that starts from being in proper alignment with him. And then our good conduct will show that in the meekness of wisdom, we have the ability to do other things, but God has brought us to this place and through his Holy Spirit, he keeps us. And so although I have the ability to do these other things, I to God and have wisdom that comes from above. And you will know that that wisdom comes from above because you will see these fruits, purity, peaceableness, gentleness, openness to reason, mercy and good fruit, impartiality and sincerity. You will see these fruits in my life. And this is what he's really pointing us to here. That if you see a person with these, you'll know that they have wisdom that comes from above. And then James ends this passage with, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in right and peace by those who make peace. A harvest is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom, again, starts with being properly oriented to God. So we asked that question in the beginning. What did this mean to them? What did, what did this passage of scripture, James 3, 13 through 18, mean to those Jewish Christians when they got this letter from James and they read it in their, in their home, in their church? What did it mean to them? And they would understand that wisdom starts with being properly oriented to God. So then we asked that follow-up question, 
How does that meaning apply to me? This understanding that wisdom starts with being properly oriented to God. How does that meaning apply to me? I realize that first, he's God and I'm not. He is God. His ways are so much higher than my ways, that his thoughts are so much higher than my thoughts, that he sees the whole picture and I don't. And I can willingly accept that because I know him and I trust him and I choose to willingly obey him. And that's where wisdom starts for you and for me. He's God. You're not. He sees the whole picture and you don't. His ways and his thoughts are so much higher than your ways and your thoughts. So wisdom, true, godly, biblical wisdom starts in your life by being properly oriented with God. And then when I do that, these things that that he talked about here are evident in my life. Purity is evident in my life. Peaceableness is evident in my life. Gentleness and reasonableness are evident in my life. Mercy is evident in my life. Good fruits are evident in my life. And we've talked about fruit a lot over the last few weeks that a good tree can only produce good fruit and a bad tree will only produce bad fruit. So if I'm producing good fruit, that means that I am a good tree because I'm, I'm wise. I'm connected to the source. I'm connected to the vine. I'm getting my nourishment from God. I'm properly aligned with him. And so I have wisdom in my life and you see these fruits, you see sincerity in me and you see impartiality in me. And if you think about this, this sounds a lot like the fruit of the spirit that we read in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And it sounds a lot like this definition of love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13. And I would encourage you to jot those down and look at both of those as well. But 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't, it doesn't boast. It doesn't seek its own. It never fails, right? We get this definition that we use for love from there. And this is what it sounds like wisdom leads us to is that type of love. And then we read in Galatians that the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. And we get these fruits. Then it sounds like wisdom leads us to this pr- this place, this wisdom that starts with being properly oriented to the Father, being properly in line with Him, leads us to have love and to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit and love, right? And so if we have godly wisdom in us, this is where it leads. This word wisdom here, and it's highlighted in blue, and, and, and I'm trying not to give you too much background uh, uh, Greek and Hebrew stuff today. I don't want to overwhelm you with that stuff. But let's look at this word wisdom, what it is in the, in the original language it was written in. It was written in Greek here in James. And it's this word Sophia or Sophias. And wisdom is the highest intellectual gift. But here's what I really want you to, to catch about wisdom. It's comprehensive insight into the ways and purpose of God. Wisdom, true biblical godly wisdom, comprehensive insight, comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. Where do we get that from? His word. And this is why it's so important that we approach his word rightly. This is why it's so important that, that we study his word appropriately because it gives us wisdom. It teaches us how to be in proper alignment with him. It teaches us how to follow after him, how to be his disciple. We get that from his word, right? So wisdom for this, this is, this is your big point, your big definition, your big takeaway for today. Wisdom equals knowing God rightly and obeying him willingly. Wisdom equals knowing God rightly and obeying him willingly. The, the original audience that read this letter from James 
would have really made a connection for the, I think, the whole book of James, but really this portion of the book of James, in my opinion, they would have made a a connection to a piece of scripture in the Old Testament that I'm going to read to you here in a moment. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'm just going to read it to you. Um, and, And as I read it, I hope you understand why I'm saying they would have made this connection. Because again, remember, when we think about this in their context, they are Jewish Christians. These are people who grew up in the Jewish faith. So they, they had been read uh, the parchments. They had been read uh, these Old Testament, what we call Old Testament letters, what, what they called the Torah. They had their, their book, the Pentateuch and, and, and the Torah, and they had these different books that they would read from that contained a lot of this, the content that makes up our Old uh, Testament in our Bible. They would have understood wisdom through that lens, what they had been taught since they were children, um, and, and so they would have come back to, I think, in their minds, this passage is from the book of Isaiah, and I'm just going to read it to you here briefly. But it's Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 um, through 20. And I think as I read this, what I really want you to think about is, number one, this is how I get to a place of being in wisdom. This is how I get to a place of, of being properly aligned with God so that I can have a heart of wisdom. Um, and number two, this is, it tells us this is what happens when we don't live wisely, right? And so he kind of gives us a full picture here, and they would have understood this as they were reading it. And so they would have made this connection between wisdom that comes from above and wisdom that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. But listen here to the words of the, of the prof, prophet Isaiah, the Holy Spirit talking through uh, the prophet Isaiah here, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, this is verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Let me stop here for a second. So far in what we have read, that list that James gave us, that was back here, that that wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Think about that list with remove the evil of your deeds, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together. I don't know about you, but I see that in this list, that that we're to seek out to take care of the widows and the orphans and to seek to do good, that we're pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. We're open to reason, full of mercy. What what, what requires, what is required of you uh, to, to take care of those who are in need, to take care of the widows and the orphans, if not purity and gentleness and peaceableness and reasonableness. And then God says, come, let us reason together. He's talking to the nation of Israel here, but I believe God would say the same thing to you and to me. Come now, let us reason together. He says in verse 18, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Come now, let us reason together. Come now, have wisdom. Let us get in proper alignment. Though you were covered in sins, I have made you white as snow through the blood of my son, Jesus. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient... Remember, knowing God rightly and obeying him willingly. This is wisdom. 
God says in verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And so I think back to what James has just told us about wisdom. If we're willingly obedient, we may be in persecution. We may, we may be scattered from our homes, but if we willingly obey, if we are wise, if our, if our good conduct shows that we are wise in the meekness of wisdom, we're, we may not eat the good of this land, but you know what? We will have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're going to have joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. We're going to have peace that surpasses all understanding. We're going to get the things, the good, of the, the good of the spiritual land, if you will, the goodness of the kingdom of God will be alive in us because we have wisdom, because we're properly oriented to God. The kingdom of God will be made alive in us. The goodness of the land is what we'll have. He says, but if you refuse and rebel, and if you look at that through the lens of James, if you have selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, if you say, God, I, I, I know more than you do, and I can do this on my own. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. Those, the consequences of your choices, your actions, those things are going to consume you for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Wisdom is not a destination. It's a choice. It's a choice you make every single moment of every single day. It's a choice that we make to God. I'm not going to refuse and rebel. I'm going to willingly obey in every circumstance, everything that comes my way, every temptation, every trial, everything that that tries to oppress me, come against me. I'm not going to refuse and rebel, Lord. I'm going to willingly obey you. I'm going to be wise and I'm going to let my good conduct show my wisdom in meekness. I'm going to follow you. So where are you today? Are you living a life of wisdom? Are you living a life that shows that you are in proper orientation to the Lord, that you know him rightly and that you follow him willingly? Are you living that kind of life? Or are you living a life of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? And maybe you don't want to say it that way, but, but really what that means is you're li- living a life of your own pursuits. You're pursuing what you want, what makes you happy. You're pursuing the things that you want out of life instead of pursuing what God wants for you. Which life are you living today? Where are you at? Where do you find yourself at this morning? This stuff is not optional for you and for me. As children of God, we have to willingly obey Him. As children of God, we have to live lives of godly wisdom, of biblical wisdom, of being in proper orientation to God. We have to. We have to allow our lives to cause our lives to line up with his word, whether we like it or not. And I know some of you face things in your homes, in your families, maybe in your own life, where maybe there's something that you desperately want in your life or something that a family member desperately wants in their life that doesn't align with God's word. Maybe you have a child that, that wants to be the opposite sex from what they were born as, or maybe that's, that's how you feel. Maybe that's a burden that you carry in your life and you want those things, but it does not align with God's word. And you have to choose, I'm going to be wise. I'm going to have wisdom. I'm going to get in proper orientation to God. And although my flesh wants to pursue these things. I know that that's going to lead to disorder and every vile practice. I'm going to cause my flesh to follow after God because I'm going to be in proper alignment with him, knowing that he will give me the good of the land, that he will give me joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so no matter how down or hurt or depressed I am, I can have joy in him knowing that he will give me grace so that no matter what I'm facing, no matter what temptations I struggle with, he's going to make a way of escape that I'm able to bear because his grace is sufficient for me. That's the good of the land for you, child of God is that you have mercy and grace and joy and peace and love and the presence of God to get you through no matter what you're facing. 
You have that available to you. It's at your disposal. It's at your disposal if you're wise. But this is why wisdom is a choice in every moment of every day because you can choose to be willingly obedient and get the good of the land or you can choose to refuse and rebel and be consumed by these things that have come against you. But where are you at today? Where are you at today? Where are you at today? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your church, Lord. And I thank you that although we don't always understand your word, we don't always maybe even agree with your word, I pray that you would give us a heart that has numbered our days, that we know our proper place before you, a heart that fears you, that we have reverence and respect that leads to willing obedience, that you would give us a heart that pursues you, that, that wants to be obedient to you, that wants to follow after you. Lord, I thank you for that. I pray over your people that no matter what they're facing, whether they're like uh, the, the people that James was writing to, who maybe they feel persecuted, maybe they feel cast out and cast down, but we can seek you. We can ask wisdom and you'll give it to us liberally and without reproach as your word says, Lord, that you will give us wisdom when we ask. So give us, give us the faith to ask for wisdom. Give us the faith to ask for wisdom without doubting. Give us the, the faith to seek you like Solomon. And, you, and when you said that I'll give you whatever you want, and he said, give me wisdom, Lord. Let us pray for wisdom over everything else. Let us pray for wisdom so that we can face the situations that we face, so that we can manage our finances, so that we can raise our children, so that we can steward our marriage. Give us wisdom, Lord, but give us the faith to ask you for wisdom, the faith to trust and to willingly obey you, even when the circumstances look grim. That's my prayer for your people, Lord. I know you will grant us wisdom. Your word says that you will give us wisdom if we ask. But I ask that you give us the faith to ask. Lord, I love you and I praise you. I thank you for your people. I thank you for all that you're doing in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes. And through Seven Cities Church, Father, we, we give all of this to you, all of it back to you as an offering, as a sacrifice of praise. Lord, we love you. We praise you because you're worthy of all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I love you. I am thankful.